You Decipher podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of university life and unpack what it means to be a disciple on campus. I'm Father Nicholas Pierce. Sister Mary Helen. And this is the You Disciple podcast. And we're joined today by Matthew McDonald. Good to see you, Matt. Thanks for having me in. Thanks for thanks for coming in. We're we're charging our way through the university semester for those of you who are students out there and listening to us. Uh, in the middle of it, essays and exams and or getting ready for exams. Jury weather. Yeah. Every time I think the um we always start with the weather. It's easy. Every, but every time I think that winter's gone, we get a cold, wet day, and it's like, yeah, we're, there's still a little bit of winter holding on. I studied with a, a French woman. She was from um, uh, the John Paul II Institute. And yep. She said that spring in Melbourne is a myth. <laughs> <laughs> it comes and then it goes. You get a little bit of sunshine and then it disappears and it never knows what it wants to be really. I had a quintessential Melbourne experience the other day of wearing an overcoat and sunglasses. Because the sun was out and it was blazing, but it was still like six degrees outside. It's so like my friend, I, I catch the tram into the uni every day and I see this uh, guy. He looks like he's from the Blues Brothers. He's in black suit, black tie, white shirt, black hat and sunglasses every day. And he's standing there holding an episode, uh, edition of The Watchtower. And every day he says, oh, it's a bit chilly. Isn't it? It's terrible weather. And tells me the story of, you know. That's, yeah, it's terrible weather because evil is raining. And I go, no, it's not. It's not that cold. Anyway, we have a weather com- conversation every morning. We could start a new uh, segment on this podcast of like sisters' tram tales. Oh, there's too many. Because you, you have experiences on public transport all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Two seminarians jumped on the tram on the way home. That's there you go. pretty awesome. There you go. It's great. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Mm. Um, well, I'm... I've just started private practice as a counsellor and psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. So I um, did a bit of a backstory. I moved down to Melbourne in 1998 because I was thinking of becoming a Carmelite friar. Mm-hmm. And um, I had the great blessing of having a really good spiritual direction and worked out in two hours that that wasn't my calling. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'd gone two in hours. circles. I'd gone in circles for a decade before that. And okay. um, actually, Bishop Brandazzo is in um, Sydney now. He was uh, in, in Brisbane and he said to me, I was living in Brisbane at the time, and he said, you need to get away from your family and your friends and you need to sort this out because you're just going in circles. Well so done. I came down here and um, the provincial for the Discalced Carmelites was in the house where I was staying and he just asked the right questions really quickly. And uh, so, yeah, I met my wife. We had to decide where to settle, so we um, we settled here. Settled in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the weather that brought you here, I'm sure. <laughs> it was the woman, <laughs> not the weather. <laughs> and so you're married. How long have you been married now? So Julie and I got married in the year 2000, um, and we went with you, Father Nick, to World Youth World Day UK. in 2000. There we go. All um, those years ago. Yeah, yeah. We went to the Holy Land and uh, and then on to Rome, um, and then Julie and I. Um, uh, we went to World Youth Day in 2002. We each took a group of secondary school students and, and it was there that I sort of first had the idea I really want to understand how I get sanctity and sexuality together. You know, I'd always been interested in the spiritual life. Uh, I'd been at a summer school at Melbourne University when Professor Hayden Ramsey gave a philosophy lecture. I was there too. Yeah, okay. Thomas More Summer School. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, after that I sort of chased up um, Professor Hayden and... Uh, he was teaching at the John Paul II Institute, so that's how I started my study there. It was just, you know, just to learn a bit of philosophy. 
I ended up going and doing a master's degree there. Um, and it was sort of on the back of that study that I started working for the Archdiocese at the time. Um, uh, it was because of my personal interest in how do I get sexuality and sanctity together. Which really brings us to the, um, the theme of today's podcast because the last couple of podcasts we've been talking about vocations mm. um, and today we really wanted to, to um, tackle that area of chastity which um, of course covers all vocations. Mm. Whether you're, whether you're religious, priest, married, single, discerning, um, chastity is, is key to uh, a life of flourishing and a life of holiness. So sanctity and sexuality sounds like uh, the title of this we week's go. podcast. Yeah. You're listening to the You Disciple Podcast, where we put the you in disciple. So how do you do it? How do you how do you combine <laughs> what did you learn? sanctity and sexuality? How do I do it? Badly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think back about my time at university and I think they were some of the hardest years of my life. Um, I'd grown up in a Catholic family and uh, but you know, I, I was I was in Brisbane, I went to university on the Gold Coast and you can imagine I indulged. Um, and I never stopped believing in God. Um but I was pretty apathetic. You, you wouldn't have looked at my life and thought, Matt's a Christian. Um, uh, but I never stopped believing. I was just lazy. Yep. Um, but it, and it took a couple of years for me to sort of come back to the practice of my faith. Um, you know, I just got to a point where, and I, th- I think this is sort of the first thing that I point to in um, being able to be chaste is I had good Catholic friends. I had a bunch of friends I'd grown up. My mum and dad were involved with the Emmanuel community in Brisbane. And so I had a good bunch of friends there. And it's almost like I was living two lives. You know, I, I had my sort of my Catholic friends and then my party friends. Uh, I got to a point where I had to choose which one am I going to be. And I could, I could see the destruction that was going on in the lives of people who I'd gone partying with, you know, like suicide, and, you know, serious stuff. Wow. And I thought, well, I don't want to go down that way. And I said, when I was, I think, about 24, I read Pascal's Wager. Hmm. You know, and I said, well, I, I don't know if all of this is right, but when I look at the lives of the people around me, the Christians seem to be happier than the others. And so I'll, I'll put my money there. That's really interesting. I saw my, my friends had that same, who weren't Christian, made that same um, analysis late in their degree. Like, actually, your life is, if we lived like Christians, we'd actually be happier people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the first thing I, you know, so, so those Christian friends that I, you know, like having a group of people around you who provide an alternative to what's going on you know, in, in so much of the culture was critical for me. Um, I, th- I think community is um, so important and especially when it comes to sexuality and, and our striving to be people who live lives of love and charity mm. and that... It's that reminder of how we've been created to live in communion. Mm. And we see that in the scriptures, the book of Genesis, that that first man and woman were created in communion with each other and in communion with God and in communion with the world around them. And then the effect of that was broken communion. Mm. And so especially as, as young people, if you're striving to, to sort of combat sin, striving for communion... Um, in all areas of your life, I think is is key. And so, 
yeah, that idea of having good friends and a good network, you're actually building up sort of communion in your life if you're striving to do that. Yeah, and there's the, the idea that to really understand yourself, you actually need to have other people around you mm-hmm. um, with whom to contrast yourself. Well, I'm, I'm like that person in that way, but I'm not like them in another way. So to, you know, is that, that, um, that, that paradox that to develop your individuality... You have to be in relationship with other people so you know, well, I'm like you like this, but I'm not like you like that. Mm. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's how who we are matures. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like we're always talking about, well, during lockdown. But it was, <laughs> it was a really important thing for the lives of young people in Melbourne. But for two years, that communion was broken in so many ways and that ability to get together. And I know many priests who have said that the, the rise of sexual sins and the rise of struggle with the air of purity just was rampant during that time because young people weren't – they didn't have that support of, mm. of a network of friends. They didn't have those um, opportunities to reach out. The other thing about friends is that they, they do um, force us to be charitable. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, you can't be selfish if you've got a network of friends. If you've got people you're relating with, you you have to practice charity in small and large ways each and every day, which of course builds builds virtue. And good friends keep you on the straight and narrow bit too. You know, like I mean, I could go out with my with my Catholic friends, and we, you know, we could have still have a few drinks, and you, you know, but um, but if you, you know, started getting out of line, somebody would pull your head in, Matt. You know, yeah. um, and that's invaluable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think one. One thing, Matt, well, I see with young people sometimes is they have Catholic friends and then they have their non-Catholic friends yeah. and they try to struggle or um, straddle sort of two different yes. friendship groups, especially yeah. in those first couple of years of university. Was that what it was like for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, I, um, <laughs> I'm going to trouble, have trouble telling this without choking up. I... I I used to lie about my sexual encounters with women because I was too embarrassed about being a virgin. Yeah. And um, there's a guy in particular who I shared house with and I just didn't want to, you know, I thought, he'll just laugh at me if I say this. Just after we finished university, I saw him at a party and, um, you know, I, so by that time I was you know, 23, 24 or something like that and I decided who I was going to be and I thought, look, I'm not going to be unapologetic about it. And I said to him, Chris, when I told you those things, I, I was lying. And he hung his head and um, he said, Matt, I, I admire you so much. I, I wish I could believe in something that much. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And um, he was the person who I thought would be most likely to laugh at me, mm. but he really admired it. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, the, the, I sort of... I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to take the risk, and I'm going to and I'm going to be who I'm going to be." And it didn't lose me friends; it actually won me friends. Oh, that's mm. beautiful. Um, and I think, um, Matt, we've all had that experience. And I had a, um, like, even when I went to the seminary, mm. there was this thing of, "Can I keep these friends who were friends before I found my sort of my vocation?" Um, but that one point or another of making a decision of saying, okay, this is my life now and if I'm going to live this as my life, I have to share that not mm. just with certain people but with every pe- like every person. Like um, that wholeness, uh, I think that comes back to that idea of sort of unity of, 
of within yourself. Like you can live these compartmentalized lives for only so long until yeah. at one point or another that relationship with the Lord has to be all-consuming. Was there anything that particularly helped you in your journey, especially in that journey of, of chastity and living as a young young Catholic, um, to sort of find that unity, to make that next step? It's, you know, it's difficult for me to point to just one thing. You know, I, th- I think there are, there are a number of things. Um, I, I, um, uh, I started praying by myself before I even went back to Mass. Um, and... Um, you know, that was important, and I did that because I'd watched my dad do it. You know, my dad had a discipline of prayer, and he didn't force me to do it. Um, but you know, when I sort of wanted to try and make my way back, that was one thing I did, just because I'd seen my dad do it. Um, so, in, from a, as uh, from a, the point of view of a father, it's it's so important what I do, you know, even even more than what, what I say. say. Yeah. Um, and um, and then I went back to mass. Um, you know, and the first time I went to mass, I missed a Sunday mass because I was working. And I went on a Monday morning um, to a, a, a local parish. An older priest, he, he must have been eighty, but he said the mass quietly, reverently, no fuss, but with solemnity. And uh, you know, just the words of the mass just really penetrated me. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think that was a sort of an important moment for me. You know, you know, getting back to I'd always found the words of the mass um, powerful, but you know that was sort of really engaging with that. Um, it was uh, was helpful, so yeah. And then my first my first confession at twenty three, <laughs> I had never made like not even my first confession was a proper confession. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me, Father. <laughs> so my first serious confession was at was at twenty three, mm. and you know few years at university, etc. There was a bit to deal with. Mm. Um, this, it's. I think it remains. Apart from asking my wife to marry me, probably the scariest thing I've done in my life. Wow, wow! Is that amazing as a priest? Just to think, you just don't know on what day and what occasion who's walking in there and w- what they're carrying. Yeah, and and that can be the transforming moment of someone's life. Like that's a. It must be difficult to keep that like, um, presence. Oh, in. The confessional is the the as a priest the moment I feel the most grace. Um, for me, and different priests say different things, but for me, even more so than mass, um, because it's such a moment of um, encounter between an individual and the Lord, and I have absolutely no right to be there. Um, and it's just like I, every time I go into the confessional, it's just like, thank you, Lord, for for the gift of the priesthood. Yeah. Um, and so, and that that f- feeling is there whether it's a small confession of a of a devout faithful person or the big confession of a twenty three year old university student, yeah. um, but that that like that real feeling that I decrease and the Lord increases in that moment because as as a human being I have no I have no right to be there. Yeah, and how the um, Holy Spirit. I'm just sitting there looking at thinking about your life, and I was mm. just pondering the gentleness of God there, of mm. how gently he just drew you toward himself. Mm. Um, and that, mm. So this story that's going on inside every human person, you know, and so the initiative there really comes from him. So when they got to the confessional, there's a whole story already happening. It's beautiful, yeah. So I guess it does put you in that spot of, okay, Lord, 
you are in charge. <laughs> mm. I think um, especially in that area of um, sexuality and people struggling with chastity, would you have any advice for a young person around confession and sort of um, how to make use of it, why to make use of it? Mm. Mm. Um, well, certainly before in the lead up to marriage, you know, um, every one of us carries a weight and you know when you want to if you want to get married you want to give the best of yourself to somebody um, there's going to be enough stuff to deal with uh, you want to be able to give the best you to somebody else so the degree to which we can deal with that area of our life before we get to marriage uh, it's such a blessing to your spouse it's you know it's an act of love um to yeah um you know i i don't think i you know completely got on top of the struggle i had with chastity before i got married marriage certainly made a difference mm-hmm. um but you put down one bag of rocks and you pick up another <laughs> bag of rocks you know you, 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 your struggle changes from you know being able to deal with myself to now i've got to deal with myself in relationship to another so while there's you know you know we're, we're being sexually intimate if i make a mistake around this it doesn't just affect me it affects my wife and and it affects my family, and it, yeah, so, so it, um, uh, yeah, it's just different. So you, you know, the, the, I think there can be a, a temptation to think, well, if I once I'm married, all this will be okay. I would say it's the other way around. It's you, know, you really need to deal with as much of it as you can. I don't. I wasn't able to deal with it completely. I wonder. You know, I tend to think chastity is something we'll struggle with all of our lives. I think, you know, read something in the catechism saying it's, yeah, it's a long apprenticeship. <laughs> Mine has been a very long <laughs> apprenticeship. <laughs> uh, the old priest used to say, the only day you won't struggle with celibacy is the day of your funeral. Like yeah. it, and it changes. And I think that's the point. Oh. And I, I have that conversation with young people all the time. Um, chastity is something that you, you live with your whole life and it's something you strive for and the challenges change. So yeah, um, I say to I say to uh, young guys, especially when it comes to that idea of sexual intimacy, just because you're getting married, like, don't think that that means that you're going to be having um, sex every day. Like, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, you know. I, I remember after our first child was born, um, going to the obstetrician, and um, my wife had had to have a little bit of you know, minor surgery. And, and he said to me, well, you're not going to be able to have intercourse for three months. So, and I just about fell off my chair. I said, yeah. so, sorry, did you mean three weeks or three, three months? <laughs> you know? So if you haven't learnt to deal with – and that's pretty, that's pretty common. Yeah. You know, that um, if you haven't learnt to deal with that before you've been married um, and then you bring that into your marriage, not being able to say no, it's the old John Paul II thing, if you can't say yes, you know, doesn't, you know isn't worth very much. Yeah. And I think that, like, even just on the basic levels of, okay, sickness and health, um, travel, work, a whole variety of reasons. Couples abstain in marriage for, um, for a whole variety of reasons over great periods of time so that the practice of abstinence, especially in dating couples and courting couples, is a really good sort of preparation for mm-hmm. a life where chastity sort of is lived out on a daily basis. Yeah, because you, you will have to do it, you know, yeah, at some point or another, you will have to have a long period, and and so yeah, mm. yeah that's important. Um, Matt, so you're you're now you've moved into the field of counselling and mm. psychotherapy. Um, where do you see a crossover between, I suppose, counselling and the confessional? 
um, especially for Catholics who who may um, be going to confession or going to counselling. Um, is there a crossover? I think there are there are some. There's one similarity that that I'd say that there's there is something deeply therapeutic about putting the things that I'm most uncomfortable about myself um, on my own lips. Mm. And you know that happens in confession and it can happen in therapy. The difference is in therapy, it's not necessarily sin. You know, it can be things that I'm, I don't understand about myself and I need to clarify and work this out so that I can move forward, um, which is an entirely different thing to dealing with sin. I know I did that wrong. You know, as the, the, I suppose the difference um, between uh, in, in therapy, you know, we make a distinction between guilt and shame. You know, and shame is about my person, but my person, you know, certainly in the Catholic understanding, my person is good. Mm. Uh, and so many people struggle with shame. And you know, John Paul in the theology of the body makes a you know talks a lot about shame. It's you know such a, a, a deep experience for us, and it's inescapable, mm. um, except through love. Um, but then there's guilt. And guilt is where I know I shouldn't have done that and I went ahead and did it anyway. And that's your job, Father Nick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, that's, that's, that's God's job through you. Without getting too uh, controversial, there's obviously a, a renewed conversation in parts of the church here in Australia about the third right of reconciliation. Mm. And it's, but it is that thing of that therapeutic thing of admitting, like the very act of being able to name your sins in and of itself um, like in other contexts, in the therapeutic context, we're saying this is really good for you. And obviously in the sacramental context, it's, it's, it's got that added grace attached to it. But there is this real um, process. And I'm, I'm working with my first communion class at the moment. We're talking about that ability to admit and to admit to yourself first of all. But then when you say sorry, like to actually to put it, to put it before God and actually name it as your sins mm. um, is... It's a very good human act, let alone the grace that God then infuses into that moment and the forgiveness and the strength that you get from the sacrament. Mm. So I think especially with like with all of our sins, but in, in those areas of purity and chastity, like mm. that willingness to go and admit that you're not getting it right all the time. Mm. Mm. And that's the thing I, I say to kids in the confessional all the time. All the only requisite requirement to come is to be able to admit that you didn't get it right. And that's what the Lord needs from you. Mm-hmm. And that all you're doing at that moment is admitting that you need the Lord mm-hmm. and he comes to you. Yeah, if you're just circling back kind of around that idea of communion, if the objective is to build communion, dealing with um, our self, like kind of self-knowledge, yes, it happens in community, but but through confession, through this kind of humility of accepting who I am and accepting responsibility responsibility for my actions, but then, but then this basic humility to be able to, um, then just leave leave myself. I am not the main picture here. I, I'm going to be free to love the other person, and I'm not going to be obsessed with what does this person think of me or all those image pres- questions that were getting confusing, and and they. They prevent us from a deep communion with other people, but if we can let those things go, and just make ourselves not the the main event, mm. we can build communion. Right? And the the, uh, the idea that in giving that we discover who we are, mm. uh, that um, you know, 
if we obsess about our chastity too much, I think that you know that can be um, unhelpful. Um, but to train for marriage by learning to serve and give to others, so you're taking your mind off yourself and you're giving for others. So whether it's you know in a soup kitchen or you know or, or regardless, it doesn't matter in in one sense what it is. But if you're giving to others. Um, then you're not obsessing about yourself. I, th- I think that's really important, and um, you know, and, and having those you know good friendships. Or and, and it's a little bit of advice that John Paul II gave, and I can't remember where I read it, but he said, and I think it might have come from his work in the theatre company, mm-hmm. um, that when you're involved in a project alongside people serving together, he said there's, there's two advantages to it. One is you get to see what that other person is like in difficult circumstances, and you're not confused by hormones. <laughs> so, so you know, so while I'm serving food with you at the soup kitchen, I get to see how, you know, how does she deal with the, you know, the person on the street? How does she deal with when things don't go so, when things don't go to plan? And um, so I think serving with other people is a really good way because it gets your mind off yourself. But then if you're, if you're in that little community, that's a good way to say, I think she'd be worth asking out. Yeah. Or you know, wow, be a I good really like. My he'd, yeah, yeah, he'd be a he'd be a good dad. Look yeah. what he's like with that little kid. Exactly. Yeah. One of the challenges of doing a podcast, a little bit like preaching homilies, is I can't remember what of my one-liners I've used on the previous podcast. <laughs> so if I've, I know it's just, <laughs> just my homilies were once described as a grab bag of cliches. So that's what the podcast becomes. But um, I, so I've probably used this one before, but this idea that those great saints throughout history that have been known for their chastity were also known for their charity. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's that, new, Father. Is that new? Yeah. You haven't heard that no, one before? Great. Well, now I can't use it again, okay? <laughs> so it's, it's out there. But they, um, so again, this idea of am I a person that is given over for others? Yeah. Is there opportunities in my day each and every day um, where I'm finding opportunities to serve others? I was walking down the street yesterday um, and I saw this old gentleman walking across a driveway for like one of those hotels, cars coming in and out. And he got halfway across and stopped and looked back to check that his wife got across the driveway safely. Mm. Mm. And I just thought, that's charity. Yes. Like, here is a man who, and they would have been maybe 85, if not older. And I just thought, here is a man who cares for her safety more than his own it's like Mm. um so how do we do that each and every day and i think yeah um serving and finding opportunities to be um men and women of charity together and apart i think is a really good a good way to then grow in that area of chastity yeah and finding finding ways to do that well before you're married (laughs) is i think really important yeah Yeah. i remember when i was you know young and looking at I think I was on net and we we're reading about all the different vocations, whatever. And it actually took me by surprise that marriage was so um, selfless, you know, that, that you have to really be thinking of the other because it just seems so comfortable from the outside. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I, and then and then over time when you meet all these families and, you know, my own blood sisters, you know, and watch all of the effort and that goes into the way that they love their kids and their husbands. And it's incredible. It was one of the things that attracted me to marriage. You know, I, I think even more than the sexual intimacy is that I, I remember lying on my bed in my apartment when I was still living in Brisbane and thinking to myself one night, if I had a crying child, I could not stay in the bed. 
uh, and so th- being married would force me not to be as selfish as I saw myself being at that time. Mm. Uh, you know, I knew fatherhood would draw something out of me that you know I couldn't. I couldn't not get up for a crying child. Yeah. I have to confess, I, there were times <laughs> when, I, when I did say to my wife, I, I, I think it's your turn, you, even though she might have had three turns that night. Uh, no, so if we're making vocational sort of public confessions, I'm like, if there's a line um, in the Divine Office for the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul and it, he writes, um, if a poor man knocks at the door while you're saying your prayers, leave your prayers and go and serve the poor. And I was always like, I would never, um, I'll always be the priest who answers the door. But sometimes on a Sunday afternoon when the football's on and the doorbell rings, yeah. I'm there going, maybe they don't know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I normally always get up. And do you know what? They're, they're normally the most remarkable encounters when they come at the most inconvenient moments. Yeah. Uh, I heard a priest uh, during the week, use a really good one-liner, and he said, "We, we, we think that our vocation is to strive for holiness, but in fact, it's to strive for union, Same and thing. the byproduct is holiness." Exactly. So we strive. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah, idea. No, no, no. but I, I think it is this thing, and you're talking about young people, especially when it comes to chastity, and where we 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 strive and strive and strive to conquer ourselves and to be better and not to sin, and we work harder and harder. Where the answer is actually get close to the Lord, Absolutely. draw close to Him. Um, what are you like today, either as a married man or as a young person, like? Your prayer life, like what, what's what's at the heart of it? Um, what what draws you into that union with the Lord? Mm. You know, I I go back to having watched my dad. Um, that helped me to have a, a habit of prayer where I get up early every morning, um, early enough in, in family life for me to be up and have a time, you know, a good block of time you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or something before I'm going to be disturbed in silent meditative prayer. Um, you know, I, I have some a few prayers I say. I have some time of silence just where I try and sit with God. I read a little bit of scripture or a spiritual book. And, um, and particularly during lockdown, the fact that I had that habit, like I know people you know, who, who their form of prayer was going for Eucharistic adoration and they didn't have a habit of doing anything else. Hmm. Uh, and they got into trouble. Because the, you know the whole structure of their spiritual life fell apart. For me, it didn't. Um, so you know, I just think that's that's so important. Having private, personal prayer. You just, you know, Jesus said, "Go shut the door, you know, and go inside behind your eyes to that place where it's just you and the Father." Mm. Um, you know, not, This is the You Disciple podcast. For more information on what's happening on a campus near you, go to udisciple.melbournecatholic.org. You and the father. I cut, I cut you off with the ad break. Sorry, Matt. Was there any part? Was there another bit? No, just, just I, I, yeah. Going into that plot, quiet place, and and even as a, as a counselor and psychotherapist, the capacity to do that is so important for your own health. 
um, to be able to reflect like that and ha- and be able to be silent and to be still. Yeah. I Just to throw it out, another one-line prayer, um, I think Mother Teresa is fantastic for that, of getting to that spot. of, And she would tell her sisters, go in, close your eyes, and just say, Jesus dwelling in my heart, I believe in your great love for me. Fantastic. Like if that's your whole prayer, it's a great act of, of faith, hope and love. Yeah. And, you, you know, you, you hear about um, people who are imprisoned and things like that. You know, that can, inside me, with God, can never be taken away. Yeah. True. Uh, and, and if you kill me, I win, you know. If you kill me, I win. That's We're done. That's it. <laughs> We're done. Thank you, Matt. We've just sort of scraped the surface and we'd love to have you back in the next little while because I really um, – one thing that I'm obviously passionate about, and I know you are, is those intersections between faith and mental health, and how we can how yeah. we can sort of help people grow in 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 resiliency and and strength in both those areas at the same time. So that I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the uh, topic list for love it for later in the year. But thanks very much for coming in. Thanks, Sister Mary Helen. Thank you uh, make sure you reach out on campus or uh, check out the website for all the details of the other great stuff that's going on. God bless. Whether you've been listening to us on the tram, in the library, or on your way to class, thanks for listening to this week's You Disciple podcast. Share, like, and subscribe, and we hope to see you on and around campus. The Disciple Podcast is a production of the Catholic Archdiocese of Melbourne.